Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeeb.com slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. You want to create the sense that when, by the time someone gets to your front door, you want them to be running to that front door. So yeah, a new front door would be nice. Welcome to the Get Traction Podcast. If you are ready to learn exactly what it takes to become a real estate entrepreneur, this is the show for you. With your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Z. Welcome back to the Get Traction Podcast. It's Tom Z, and I have a special guest on the line today. It's Claude Labby. Hey, Claude. Good morning, Tom. So you're a special guest because you've been my real estate agent, uh, my realtor for many years. And I want, I thought it'd be very beneficial to people to hear how does an investor work with an agent and how do agents work with investors and benefits to a license and things like that. So I kind of, let's, um, how long have you been a real estate agent? Since 2001. Excellent. Gary. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Time flies. What is it like? Because not every agent likes to work with investors. So why, why, do you, why do you choose to focus on working with real estate investors? Well, there's pros and cons to it. But the pro, I think one of the biggest pros is that there's no emotion. There's no, I also want to say there's no ego. It's strictly business. This is purely just business all the way through. Gotcha. Navigating people's feelings and emotions. Yeah, that's the retail side. The investor side, they don't care about that stuff. They only care about <laughs> numbers. Numbers, yeah. Well, we've got to we've got to make our numbers work. So it's a whole different way to look at to look at the transaction. Gotcha. Why is it important for uh, an investor to have an agent on the team? I'm going to use the word agent and investor. Uh, I'm sorry, agent and realtor interchangeably. And we could talk about that in a second as well. But why do you, why, why is it important for an investor to have an agent on their team? A whole bunch of different reasons. I mean, let's understand their. There are different levels of investors, okay? The beginner investor really needs someone to help him shop and someone to help him or her understand what they're doing. The seasoned investor who's you know, done a couple of, a dozen flips or who's purchased a dozen properties they buy and hold or whatever, you know, you get so far deep in your bubble, you want to have, as an investor, as a seasoned investor, you want to have an agent who can still challenge you or give you new ideas. Because as the seasoned investor, you're so focused on this one neighborhood, you haven't seen the rest of the world change, or you're so focused on this type of investment, you haven't considered other possibilities. And I think you miss out by not exposing yourself to an agent who can throw different options to you. And of course, as the newbie investor, 
you don't really know where you're walking, where's the ground mushy, where are the holes, where are the solid places. And truly what that means is that the investor needs the agent who's going to have all the vendors that the investor is going to need. And the investor may have a number of vendors on their own, even if as they're starting out. But you always want to have more. You don't, as the investor, want to be dependent on one vendor. So the agent has a couple more for you. You know, I've often said with you, know, you as the agent on my team, you help me keep my finger on the pulse of the market and, and the trends and what's happening. Yeah, and face it. I mean, look at the question, right? You yourself are a seasoned investor and you work with realtors. If someone says, why should I work with realtors? That's a great answer. Yeah, I need somebody that has their finger on the pulse of the market. And like you said, kind of is looking at a wider scope and a wider range of things than I am. Because you know, I get my investor goggles on and get kind of hyper-focused on what I need to do. Yeah, and I have to believe, even as I said that investors don't have their egos and their emotions come into it, <laughs> it does. It, it does. It's, I mean, sure, you're not moving your husband, your family, and your wife and kids into the house. But it's still like, I want to be right. Damn it, I know I was right. I know I'm doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, your ego is playing the game and you're not as a seasoned investor. It's a different type of ego. Yeah, you can't. I got to take it. You can't say investors don't have egos. But right, 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 right. It's a different, it's a different, we approach that, that very differently. A couple of things are coming to mind. One, uh, I think we should define the difference between the terminology I said before. There's agents and there's realtors. They're the same thing, kind of. But what, what's the technical difference, Claude? Truly, truly, truly. See, the NER is paying me to say this right now. The National <laughs> Association of Realtors, of which I, as a realtor, am licensed, we have this code of ethics we belong to, and there are certain rules we have to play with, and we're licensed by the state where we work. Any agent, in order to be called an agent, has to be licensed within the state. They just don't have to be part of the association. It's kind of like a union, if you think about it. Gotcha. So being part of the association gives you the term realtor, Otherwise, you're just agent, but it's effectively the same thing. Right. And to me, it's on some level, it's a way to separate the pros from the wannabes. And the same as, you know, at your attraction area, right? There are lots, you know, Carolina will get up and say, look, how are we different than the others? Well, we have a couple of protocols and standards that we adhere to that gives us attraction a higher level of professionalism. That's why we say we are who we are. Realtors are the same way. We have a couple of standards that we all hold ourselves accountable to which is why we get to say we're a realtor. So now with agents and or realtors, there tends to be that great divide. We've been talking a little bit about the ego differences and what is, there's a great divide, let's be honest about it. Sometimes investors and agents don't tend to get along very well. How do we bridge that gap? I mean, how, how, how shall the two meet? Well, I would challenge you there, Tom. I would say the, you know, the divide, the way you ask the question or the perspective that I answer it from is that, it's almost as if there are some agents who don't want to work with investors and there are some investors who don't want to work with agents. So let's go back and look at the agents first, right? There are plenty of agents who have a very, very thin slice of the pie where they say, I only work with condos in this subdivision or I only work with homes in this zip code. That's all I do. And if that's a zip code that was built 23 years ago, then that's all they've got, right? They're, they've got a couple thousand clients, if you will, in their potential database. That's all they do. And it's just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. They don't want to think about working with an investor because that's just outside of what they're comfortable with. And that's what they do. 
there are other agents I want to say who are more seasoned or who are more veteran or who just like the creative challenge and they will work with anyone on the other side and so if I represent a seller I would argue that I benefit my seller by talking to anyone who wants to look at the property if they're an investor or not it don't matter to me all I want to do is help my seller get their home sold likewise if I'm working with a buyer it don't matter to me who I gotta to talk to, whether the, the place we're looking at is listed or not, or whether it's an investor or not. It all comes down to is how do I help my buyer client, whether that's an investor or whether that's not an investor, there may always be an investor on the other side. I don't feel there's a benefit by limiting the exposure for my client or for my home. Now let's talk about investors who don't want to work with agents. You know, those agents who say, hands up, stop sign to investors, well, those agents give the rest of the agents a bad name. When that investor who's been burnt by another agent starts moving to the next deal, like, you know what? All agents are people I don't want to work with. So I'm just going to stop working with agents. And I don't necessarily see how that helps the investor. But you know what? Every bar, every seller, every client gets to choose who they want to work with. And so if an investor says, I don't want to work with agents, okay, don't work with agents. You know, a couple of times in the past, I've presented the attraction where we looked at prior deals in the past year, and there are plenty of deals that people flipped homes that were listed on the MLS. That means they worked with agents. And there are just as many deals that were not listed, which means they didn't work with agents. But I don't know as an investor why you would want to say yes or no to agents. Just as as an agent, I don't know why you'd want to say yes or no to investors. <laughs> and, and yet half on both sides, half do and half don't. <laughs> and it comes down to, I mean, hey, we've all had bad experiences, right? And so in everything. And so if someone's had a bad experience, that their way to deal with it is just say, I'm just going to cut that out. Okay. That, that leads me to ask the obvious question. I mean, how can investors, as, I'm an investor who wants to work with an agent because I recognize that that's another source of deals. It's a, it's a great member of my team. I got to have an agent on my team. So how can investors best work with agents? So we only have one hour for this call, really? Okay. <laughs> Roughly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're saying that's like an all seminar, maybe a week or a month. I mean, I think, first of all, as the investor, I think you've got to be clear with your agent. You've got to say, I'm an investor and these are my terms, right? So just as a retail home buyer, home seller works with an agent and they say, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to get for our home. This is what, what we need to buy for our home. Like the retail client defines all their terms. Well, likewise, you want the investor client to be very, very clear defining all your terms. And one of those terms includes, are you working with other agents? Because if you've signed a buyer agency with me where I'm going to work with you or a listing well, listening is pretty clear, because you aren't gonna have three people list the house with three signs on the front of the house but if you have a buyer agency with your agreement you got to be clear how you're working with maybe potentially other agents because you don't want to get stuck with you've got two agents who sent you the same opportunity and now you're not sure who you actually have who to go with fidelity to treat them fairly and let, let them know how you intend to work with them right because otherwise if any conflict comes up then you as the client have lost both your agents You've spent time grooming them and, and, figuring, and getting them to figure out how to work with you as the client, and now you've lost them. So you've lost your potential deals as well as you've lost the time you've invested with them. But if up front as the agent, as the client, you define to the agent, this is how I want to work with you, 
you know, first of all, some agents will say no, and that's fine. Then that's not the agent for you. But if you, and yeah, you know, by, by defined terms, like tell them what type of property you're looking for, what type of foot you're looking for, what you expect them to do for you. Do you expect that agent to show you the homes? Do you expect that agent to give you personal tours on video, even if you're not there, like FaceTime tours? Do you expect that agent to do comps? Do you expect that agent to write offers? Do you expect that agent to negotiate? Some investors have very, very limited terms for what they need from the realtor. Here are the comps I think are good. What do you think about it? Right? Others want their realtor to really say, look, I've, I'm not sure what I'm looking for. I think I want to flip in this neighborhood. Can you help me figure out, is this the right neighborhood? And then, okay, now that I've got the house in the contract, can you help me get some vendors to help me actually flip the home? So you're going to, as the client, you've got, you've got different needs. I would say define those up front. Okay, so thinking through your business as an investor up front is beneficial. Thinking through how you as an investor want to engage and participate with your agent is important up front and be clear about it. You're just saying kind of be clear about what the relationship is from the get-go. I think as a client, you also need to ask your agent the very same thing, right? You, because... It's a two-way street. Right, because if Betty Buyer asks me to show her a property, and my girlfriend is also in the flipping business, Betty's gonna make sure that I have fidelity and integrity with her, and I'm not gonna take whatever opportunity that she's found to send someone else. Just, you know, there are times when I'll send listings to clients, and they'll come back with an approach to generate income, you know, to find equity where I didn't see it. Like, oh, wow, you're right. If you, if you actually add a second floor to this house, this is a completely different house, I hadn't realized that, yeah, that would work for this house because it's a, from which they put some criteria that hadn't come to, right? So you as the client, I think, have a right to also expect the same confidentiality that you expect your client, your agent to give to you. You've got to give back to them. Absolutely. You've got, you've got to hold your agent accountable as well. So coming up with the terms up front and how you want that relationship to work, both sides, in two-way street, but as an investor, Claude, how do I compensate an agent? How do you prefer to be compensated? Because not everything we're going to do together as an agent necessarily would be buying or selling the actual property. And therefore, you know, the, the commission way is going to work sometimes, but not all the, you're not always going to get that commission. Sure, there's the commission, right? That's why we expect that if you're working with us and we bring you an opportunity, then you're going to work with us get all the way through. Secondly is, is referrals. If, if you, you know, if I've shown you 55 homes and we've done 110 comps and we haven't bought a property yet, you've got to realize that I've invested some significant time with you, as have you. And firstly, I would wonder, you might want to tweak the system because something's not right. If you've made 30, 40 calls and can't get to a deal, hmm, you got to look at what you, who, what's going on there. You know, get back to the agent. So firstly, I would say referrals are a great source of, of, of returns to us. So I work for commissions, but I also work for referrals. There's also a benefit in sort of being exposed to your team. You, based on your experience level, you may have access to vendors that I've not met yet that I don't have access to. I don't need lenders because I could eat lunch for free all week, every week, if I just had lunch with people who want my business as a mortgage lender. <laughs> I, I don't need those. <laughs> yes. But there are lots of other vendors that I do need. It's a literal dime a dozen. Ask me what those are, right? And I think there's, you know, I, I've had clients give me gifts 
because they do realize, gee, the agent is responding to me, has probably spent some time on me and I, we haven't closed the deal yet. So yeah, that, that's what the agent wants. How do I find a good one? I mean, because it's not, you said, you know, some agents are going to you know, want to work with investors. Some clearly don't. Some are clueless. I mean, certainly not all agents are created equal. So as a real estate investor who needs to have an agent on my team, what do I, how do I screen for one? How do I find a good one? You know, that's probably the same way you find one as retail, right? I would go to open houses, open houses of homes that have been flipped, open houses of homes that are going to be flipped and look at those agents and see how are they working and what are they, because when you're testing them, if you will, they don't necessarily know of you as a potential client. They know of you as a client for that transaction. See how, how do they work it? How do they, how do they sell that home? How do they sell their service? If you go to, if you spend a weekend looking at open homes and you've met a dozen realtors and only one of them calls you back, that gives you a sense for who might actually be working their phones. Gotcha. And that, that might be a realtor you want to talk to some more. Gotcha. You might also want to ask your competition, who are they working with? There's a good two or three dozen wholesalers and two or three dozen flippers at your meeting every month. They're not all in the same neighborhood. So if you walk into that meeting, just ask someone say, hey, who's your realtor? Word of mouth and referrals, right? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of work, work your network, work the room. I want to kind of talk about some best and worst uh, things that I see out there. What, what, what do you think, the, as, an, as an agent who's investor-friendly and likes working with investors, what are some of the best and worst things <laughs> about us or about working with us? So the best is working with, working with an investor, right? Usually you, want, you don't get so caught up in it. And a lot of times it helps me juggle my time and my calendar better. Because retail clients are usually... Fridays, weekends, Mondays. That's when the retail market is just out of control. Yeah. And investors, I can work during the week. So that, that helps me juggle the calendar a bit more. Retail clients also, they're the ones who are going to call you at 9, 10, 11 p.m. or 6, 7, 8 a.m. with a panic call. Something's going on and we got to solve that problem right now. Investors usually are much more relaxed where we knew we had five days for inspection. We don't wait till day five, 7 p.m. to get there. Like investors usually have a much, much more smoother sense of time and priority. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, I've had investors text me or call me at 10 o'clock at night and say, it's urgent. And I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't urgent. You know, that's usually when it's, it's, a, it's a newer investor who um, might be getting their first, second deal where, yeah, for them, it's still kind of working for them. And you sort of have to say, okay, well, we've done six of these now, so you know where the, what the process is, we'll be okay. Yeah. Right. I think that's the biggest difference. One thing I've noticed is, I, you know, help students build up their team, and you always got to get an agent on your team. But I get a lot of times they're confused by some of the, um, how do I put this, like the flashy titles, you know, top producer and best performer and, you know, multi-million dollar sales. Uh, is there any weight to those kinds of uh, titles that agents like to put on themselves or, or what say you? Don't forget, as a member of the NAR, yeah, so I, w I was just at a recent NAR event, right? And they're pushing the next set of acronym after my name that I don't have yet because you've got to be EPRO and you've got to be accredited buyer rep and you've got to be senior rep and you've got to be green pro and you've got to be military certified. <laughs> and look, look, 
they make money by selling more of the products uh-huh and use the realtor you don't want to be in the room when you've had the the person who cares about the environment or the military person or the elderly person or the, or the buyer you don't want that person to call you and say hey do you have that certification you say no because now you've just lost a potential client with x thousand dollars because you don't have the you can spend the three hundred dollars for the class you got to get. Like, oh, <laughs> even though it's effectively pointless. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's fully pointless because I would argue that someone who's actually gone through and, and spent the time and the money to get the twelve certifications tells you they actually they're not they're in here for the long haul. They're not in here for the short term. I met a realtor yesterday who said, "Oh, um, I'm leaving the firm." I'm like, "Okay, where are you going?" "Oh, I'm I'm I've been relocated to." far stayed away for my job in the military. And she said, but I'm still gonna keep my license here in DC. And I'm like, okay, wow. Kind of like, why? Right? Like, and so I looked at that and said, well, geez, that's the realtor I'd want to represent me because she wasn't in it for long haul. Yeah. Same thing as I'm driving down the road, you know, I look at the different restaurants, the different dealers, right? Who's doing stuff to market themselves to show me they actually care and they're actually, I'm not afraid that if I go back to this weeks from now, they'll be closed. I think a realtor with, with lots of designations tells me that they're actually, they're working the game. They're, they're, they're working their profession. It's kind of like, you know, like my partner's an artist and he sells his work for thousands of dollars and yet he still goes to classes two or three times a year. He'll fly out to go spend the weekend painting with someone, teaching them a different technique. Like, why would you do that? Don't you know how to paint already? <laughs> the same is true, right? But the same is true in our profession too. Like, why would you want to get one more useless certification? Don't you already know how to sell? Homes? Oh yeah, I do. There's a value to continuing education and staying on top of it. So in some ways you can you can look at these things and go, all right, this person's at least interested in their business, they're interested in their trade, they're interested in what they do and improving what they do. I also think it's sort of it's I think it's generational. I'm not sure what you think, but it seems to be that people who are older, I'm thinking fifty-five plus at this point, they're the ones that that seems to be the generation or two that had all those acronyms after their their name and the younger people they have the education they just don't bother like advertising if you will true yeah they don't go on about it as much okay it's you know it's like i have people and you know like students in, in different parts of the country and if it's a if it's a lower price area you know they'll say you know it's hard to find the all the top agents are always in the coastal cities well of course they are because you could sell one or two houses and it's equivalent to 10 houses in the middle of the country so yeah, you're a top producer nationwide, but only by nature of the ridiculous housing values because you happen to live in a coastal city. Correct. I mean, to me, I would, I would find if I'm not in the coastal city, I want to find who's the agent who does stuff for the church, who does stuff for the rotary, who's the agent who's really like deep in bread in the community because they know everything, right? And that's the agent you want to work with, the agent who has his or her finger on everything going on. They're probably not the showest or showest or flashiest. They just they just know things before they happen. Yeah. That's who you want in your pocket. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Claude, let's shift gears because that, that, that's an excellent discussion. It gets really a key a key part of your team getting that that team member picked. But I want to switch gears a little bit. Let's let's talk about I'm going to call it the value of a toilet as a rehabber or as a wholesaler look as an investor looking to improve a property i, I say that somewhat fishy but seriously 
what is the value of adding a bathroom? And how do you figure out whether or not that makes logical sense? I'm not going to give you a number because the number is going to change based on what year we're talking about. Correct. Or based on what zip code we're talking about. And I would argue based on what type of home. So, for instance, adding a half toilet to a single family detached home 45 miles out of the city may not have the same return that adding a half toilet to a townhouse in DuPont Circle in DC. Right, so you gotta look at you have to look at what is there. But when you're trying to figure that out, then you go you go to the next step and start saying, okay, well, if I look at all the sales in the past six months or a year of homes that are effectively comps with that toilet or not that or without that toilet, what's the difference in pricing? That's one way to get there. There also you can also think about it at times when someone's gonna say, I want to sell my home quickly for top dollar. And to me, that means, well, then you got to get out of the house, go live someplace for a couple months while we renovate the house, because that's what you're going to get for top, for top dollar quick sale. Now, is that the best use of your time and money? And maybe that's easy if you're the consultant who lives in your house on weekends and you're out, you're out of town the rest of the week. But that's not most people's lifestyle. Most people actually have a family and pets and wife that's better in their home and they can't just walk out to have kitchen bathrooms and houses redone right so then we gotta look at okay well you know if you invest the ten thousand to redo this half bathroom in this unused space is that worth it for you in terms of money and will that also help your home sell faster i know you've sold a home before when you're in the process of selling your home your home has to be HGTV ready 24 7 because the bars are going to come through. So now you've got to have the house ready for bars 24 7 for could be weeks, which is not a fun way to live. If you've got kids and pets, it's even worse. So if you can have something done to your home, like a half bath, and that will allow the house to sell within the first weekend, within 10 days, you've saved yourself weeks of living like in a bubble. And there's value there. there that, there's, I mean, not only the financial value of selling your house for more, but also the, the peace of mind of getting your house under contract and sold quickly. Quickly. Is really a nice benefit. As a, absolutely. As a homeowner, then you don't have to, you don't have to deal with the, the rigmarole of, of people traipsing through your house as, as you go. And don't forget, as the house is on the market wander, then you, know, you start getting concerned and anxious, and now we start dropping the price. And even if the price was right to start with, you're like, yeah, I, I don't want this anymore. Yeah, you just want to be done with it. So you don't take as good of an all. All right, fine. And then as an investor, it's adding that in. If it, if it makes the value shine and pushes, pushes the house to sell that much faster, then that's a good thing because you, your holding cost is reduced. Yeah, so as the flipper, when you're looking at a, when you're looking at a home, you want to renovate and, and sell. Sure, think about redoing the kitchen, right? Putting new countertops. Putting new venues in the bathroom, great. Anybody else can do that too. Now, what else can you do to actually get truly enhanced value out of that house? And that's when you start thinking about, do I put in, you know, do I block, push out the back? Do I, you know, there's exterior things you can do. You can add square footage to the home. You can also use the square footage differently, such as, yeah, put in, put in rooms and bathrooms where there weren't some before. That's a great way to use money.
And as we talked earlier, one of the ways we're doing right now is we're, you know, lots of homes are a type of home where you can actually add another floor and it's not going to be so obtrusive in that neighborhood where the neighborhood will support a second floor with a much larger home. Gotcha. So it's the classic, you know, have the home look great, the, the stereotypical kitchens and baths are what sell the house. And what other touches could a rehabber add to easily drive the value of their home up? The simple ones, power washing. Um, you know, sometimes you have the, the shutters on the house are older than my grandmother. And maybe if those were removed and renovated, painting, I mean, painting does wonders, right? So yeah, go to Home Depot or have your vendor go to Home Depot, have your painter who probably paints better than you go to Home Depot, get some paint, paint the interior exterior of the house. You might get a big change right there. Or just from the freshness of it. So you said, pull, like, pull the shutters off, which kind of shutters have an old-fashioned look. So modernize it. But that's an easy way because you just took something down. I mean, it's just the labor cost to take. Sure, but then you, you may, you at that point, you might have to repaint because there might be different shades of color due to the sun, landscaping, driveways. You want to create the sense that when, by the time someone gets to your front door, you want them to be running to that front door. So, yeah, a new front door would be nice. <laughs> It's simple things, right? Like, sure, a new kitchen will, will cost you some serious money. But a front door lock where you don't have to jiggle the key, there's real value there, right? Or the modern, like the, uh, the electronic uh, keypad. Right. Or the central key system will work, too. So you can do things like that. And inside, of course, nice floors. Um, and I would say when you're going to, you just want a little bit more of a pop. And so I like the bathroom that is just an, a wedge higher than all your all your competition that will sell your house just a wedge higher so slightly do a slightly better job than everybody else and so in that case i'm usually talking to the master bathroom really don't put in a nice new bathroom in the basement and go crazy with that and have the master bathroom with the, the that like fake vanity countertop from 1973 like that doesn't work if you're going to spend money on a bathroom, then I want that bathroom to be the master bath. The couple hundred bucks you're gonna spend in the master bath that I want you to spend, you can take that off your newer bath downstairs. Newer bath downstairs doesn't have to be, doesn't have to wow you. Just it has to be a nice clean bathroom. Just has to be there and it has to look look solid, but not fancy. Right, the fact, the fact that you've added it will give you value. You don't have to go crazy with what you're doing with that bathroom downstairs. But the one upstairs, yeah, I do. Simple things like, the difference between a nice light fixture and the builder grade light fixture, you know, I, I'm okay with builder grades in some of some of the hallways, if you will, or some of the closets. But give me one or two that just makes me like, oh yeah, cool. I'll spend the extra ten to twenty bucks and get a nice light fixture. Right. I think renovators have to be careful because if you spend extra on everything, you're out of budget. Yep. You've got to figure out what am I going to, you know, where am I going to allocate a bit more money and where am I going to sort of cut back so I don't have to go crazy. Yeah. I think that's the balance for rehabbers to keep in mind is that you want to make it, make it look really tight, but don't, you can't, if you make every, if you overspend on everything, then you've massively cracked your budget and wholesalers need to think the same way because they've got to be thinking ahead to what is their uh, rehabber buyer going to do. And you've got to make sure you account for the fact that there's going to be some special touches but not all special touches. So you don't screw up your budget estimation either. At this point now, I think we're specifically speaking about people who are flipping and renovating a home, correct? Yes. And so 
let's go back to what you want your agent to do. So in the case of you're flipping your home, please work out with your agent some arrangement where the home is going to be staged. Not just one corner of the living room. Stage the dang house so that the bar can walk in and see herself or himself just like, this is it. This is my home. Uh, I'm glad you said this. You're a fan of staging. Uh, Claude, the reason I ask is I, <laughs> I love walking into a completely empty property and envisioning it myself. But I'm told that that makes me very strange and very rare because most people need to see furniture in place to understand. I guess most of the time I just don't like the way staging is done. But you're saying it's, it's that, that big of a deal and it makes that much of a difference? When you're walking in and you're, what are you seeing, right? I suspect you're walking in as an investor and you're still seeing things that way. You're seeing, oh, what did they do right in this newly redone home? Or if it's, if it's home that hasn't been redone, you're like, what can I do? But the retail buyer walking to buy, to buy their home, they want to make sure their furniture is going to work and how am I going to use this room and, oh, this is such a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just a different mentality. Because <laughs> I walk, half the time I walk in, I go, oh, God, that couch is ugly. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, the, even the hand towel in the bathroom, I can't stand. And so it, it's, <laughs> that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> I actually think it works. If you're going to spend money, make sure part of that is part of the money you're spending is your real, if your realtor pays for staging, they're going to charge you for it in some fashion, right? Yeah. And that's part of, that's part of your renovation costs. So just calculate that in. Hmm. All right. Again, when the when the buyer walks in, they see a vacant home. They're just not quite as in love, in love into it. So staging is an important part of it, and you think it's worth every penny. Yep. Okay, I got you. That segues in nicely to kind of spotting the trends. What do you? Uh, what trends are you seeing in terms of? Um, I, I want to keep it specifically to the way investors are interfacing with their ultimate end buyers. What are the trends out there? How investors are working with their buyers? How investors are working with their ultimate end buyers? What do those ultimate end buyers want to see that's going to make the house sell faster? That's going to get them more money? What, you know, it's design trends or habits. Okay, so you stumped me on this one because there are some things that are just, well, you know they're there, right? So you've got to have your, your stone countertops. You've got to have your stainless steel appliances. You've got to have wood. Now, I mean, that's how we're doing it here in the DMV. I'm not sure how satisfies or replace self, right? You know, I keep on talking about how people are, are green conscious and that's important to them. That's a more difficult sell. And that's simply not where the, the renovators are, are focused right now. What's worth a little extra bump in money? Is the, um, the fancy internet ready thermostat important? I hate that thing because <laughs> the, the brand name one isn't the best one. And that's the one that people want. I do tell my, I do tell my, bar, my investors they've got to have it. Most of them already know they, they got to have it, right? There's a trend towards homes that are more smart homes, if you will. And you got to be careful with that because if you go with a smart home that works for you because you're, um, you're an Alexa guy, that may not be who, what your bar is looking for. They might want a different type of smart home. So I sort of, I sort of pull back on the smart homes. Like, don't lock in your buyer to have to use your technology. Gotcha. Smart homes when everything like, you know, the lights are controlled by a tablet or you can control control the dishwasher with your phone. That that stuff you're cautious on. Right, because not, not everyone's gonna use the Apple product. Not everyone's gonna want not some of the smarter bars will say, I don't want the nest. I want a different thermostat. Okay. Um, but I would still would say you gotta have the nest for sure. Okay. Um, I think colors you gotta be cautious with, and I would all I would also argue. Be cautious and sort of go back six months. Don't try to be ahead of the trend because 
you might miss it. Go back to what was big in the market a few months ago, last year even. I still, I, you know, I smell, when I see a red door, I still laugh. But yeah, we want the red door. <laughs> I mean, Marvel isn't the best, but it's still what people want. So, okay, give them what they want. So sometimes it's balancing that, hey, this is actually best, but you know that being in the trade, but there's what the consumer wants and, and renovate it to the standard with the, with the finishes that they want because your job is to sell it and sell it fast. And you got to be careful with it too, right? So if the builder is building a home for him, the builder for him, right? Or the contractor for him, the, 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 the actual flipper may be a hurt, often is actually. Yeah. You know, you gotta make sure that I have to work to make sure, remind them they're not building the home for their family in their zip code. They're actually building the home in their market, usually for a different family. And sometimes that means you've got to ratchet down on what you're doing to the house. Don't put in a $75,000 kitchen in the home you're gonna sell for $325. On the other hand, don't put in the $30,000 renovation of the kitchen the home you're going to sell for eight fifty, and I've seen problems on both sides there. It's got to match the expectation level for the price point of the home, right? Yeah, so renovate to the market. So you got to understand your comps. You got to understand your market. You got to understand the, the the competing houses and what's expected of that neighborhood. Yeah, so that's when you know when you know when, when I'm looking at marble. Yeah, marble is usually the way to go still, but in some cases, like no, you want to go to quartz. Just understand where should you go there. Now, what, how do you comp? What, what's your uh, comping secret, Claude? It's an art and a science. I'm not sure what the secret is. It's more, more of an art than a science? I'm not sure. It's pretty much, it's a craft for sure. Now, look, part of it is you've got to actually see stuff, see it, touch it, feel it. You've got to walk properties. You've got to understand if, if you're just well, dropped into a house, you sort of got to know what neighborhood am I probably in right now disposing of the house. And part of that's actually physically doing things. Part of it's also just data. And remember, as a realtor, or when you hire a realtor, you're going to hire that realtor to market your property, which times means you're going to um, suggest more than there is. And at times, you're going to suggest less than there is. So when you see listings on the, on, online of what is sold in the past six months, understand what are they what are those photos really telling you? What are those remarks really telling you? And is the information accurate? I mean, just because it tells you it's a 3,200 square foot home doesn't mean it really is. Yeah. You gotta really understand that. So I think that's where the, the art of it comes in, right? And, you know, again, I think we went back to staging. When you're selling the home, I think part of, part of selling the home is you've gotta get them into the home. That's, that's sales. And, to me, staging will help show the home much better. Gotcha. So if we're starting with the end in mind, then it's a good idea for an investor rehabber to um, talk to their agent before they start, right? Kind of during the design phase and when they're figuring out what they're going to do with the property, it'd be good to know what the agent says is going to help sell it the best. I would talk to the agent before you write the offer of the home you're going to renovate. Gotcha. That early. So yeah, why are you buying this house? Your vision may be, you, know, you want to hope that you and your realtor probably have more or less the same vision, right? What are you going to do to it? You're creating a budget that says, I'm going to do these things to the home. Well, if you forgot something that the agent can convince you is important, your budget's off. Yeah. So I think you want to have your, your realtor along with you all the way through. 
Gotcha. The other value of why that's an important piece of your team. What Claude, when you're when you're looking at, you know, as as an investor, if you're an investor, you know, for a wholesaler who's going to be selling to um, to renovators, or if you're a renovator yourself, renovator rehabber, what are the uh, what makes an up and coming neighborhood? Like, what are we looking for to find that kind of the next type of neighborhood that's going to pop and where there's where there's good profits involved? You know, I look at people who have more intelligence than me for that, right? So if I see new retail coming in someplace, that's probably a good sign. And to me, that would, and I want to say it's going to be, you know, if you see the new Starbucks come in, that's a good sign that things are happening in that neighborhood. I almost would say, even, even if you see, yeah, I would go to a, at some point, at some point, no. Like if you see a 7-Eleven opening on the corner, that may not be what you want because now you're going to have <laughs> kids there. Right, so you got to sort of qualify the realtor, the the retailer that's going in. Also, you need to sort of have a sense for what's the the people who make the the city, or the county. What are they doing? Um, is there a new road that's going to be that we're talking about building to this part of town? That will certainly help your values, right? And you sort of got to know that before the road is opened up. Because by the time the road road has been built and opened, the values have gone through the roof. What businesses are are relocating? So. You know, we, we, last night we spoke about Manassas. We we spoke about an opportunity in Manassas, right? There's a lot of a lot of new high tech jobs moving to Manassas. That's telling you that, that community is going to be changing. So you look at sort of where's the money going, because then the jobs and the people will follow. So if you're in those neighborhoods in advance, you'll be able to ride that uh, ride that wave up and get that extra bounce to your business. If you can sniff where things are happening, that's kind of where you want to go. And it's usually not just, it's not usually just one thing, right? It's, you know, this, this part of the county or, the, or this town, if they're pro-growth, they're going to, it'll be one new news alert after another, after another, after another. You're like, okay, this is really where things are going on. Yeah, there's, move, there's movement and there's activity. Right. Gotcha. There are definitely some, some areas in, in DMV that are effectively anti-growth. And so if you want to play there, your investment, if you will, will be a different type, right? It's going to be um, likely going to be a, a buy, tear down, build a new home. If your community is pro-growth, then that will be something where you want to buy and subdivide or do that type of thing. You just sort of got to know where, where you want to go. These kinds of properties, they, when you got to make an investor, uh, let me call it an investor style offer on a property, it's not going to be a, re, you know, you're not a, we're not retail buyers as as wholesalers or, or rehabbers. So is, does that bother you as an agent if I come in and ask you to make a, a low offer? Well, it depends. If you've made 37 low offers and none of them have worked and you haven't figured out that's not working, I'm going to say, gee, like, is that really what you want to do? But a low offer, that almost makes me think you're only talking about numbers. If the low offer has, oh, you're, okay, so you're a wholesaler here? Uh-huh. See, if you're the investor and you're going to flip the house yourself and you give me a low offer, but you put down 30000 as earnest money on, on the house for one fifty, then that speaks to the seller that you're a real buyer and you're going to get this done. You're going to close within two weeks, right? So low offer, but if all those other terms are off the charts crazy, that's a pretty good offer to the seller, right? On the other hand, if it's a seller who's been on the market for 14 months and it's a low offer, then okay, it may not be. 
much money down. It may not be quick turnaround, but that may still be an offer we can work with. Because it's been sitting there, so they're they're getting more desperate. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just some investors who they want effectively no money down. They want, you know, 90 days to settle, and they want all these contingencies, and they want a low price. I got, I got, no, I got nothing to sell. Because I, I, I've got to, as the agent, as the buyer agent, I've got to go sell your offer. I've got to go convince the seller. Your offer is the best one they got. They got to take me. And the way I have to move to take this or leave it, it's really going to work out for you, right? Claude, another thing I, I, this frustration comes up from students all across the country is as they're starting to talk with an agent and try to find the right agent for the team, uh, a lot of times they'll reach out and say, hey, can, can you start by um, giving me some data? I, I need to pull data from, from the MLS system so I can market to it, so I can send my letter campaigns, my postcard campaigns. And a lot of times, the first thing they hear is, that's illegal. Illegal. I can't pull data for you. What do you have to say about that? Then I'd be in trouble because I pull data for myself all the time. Yeah. Right. When I'm trying to figure out what's happening in this neighborhood, I get that by pulling data. When I'm trying to figure out, and I do this for my buyers, especially my retail buyers, right? If we're looking for a home, especially if we're looking for a particular home in a particular school district, if there's nothing on the market that meets our needs, I've got to go find that home for them. And I do that by pulling data, making phone calls, sending letters and postcards. You must get those phone calls yourself. It's like, yeah. you know, hi, we just recently sold a home in your neighborhood. Would you like to sell? Gotcha. Yeah, people get that stuff all the time. So what I'm saying in this case is I'm an investor. I ask you as an agent to pull, let's say, generate a list sure. of yeah, out-of-state apps owners or, or the local landlords. Is that illegal for you to give to me? It's not illegal. Now, there's an implied consent there, if you will, right, that I'm going to help you with neighborhood, but yeah, I've given you time and, and value of my effort. I would hope that on the backside, if you get me, if you get something out of this, that you'll help me work you through to get the conclusion, and I'll be paid for that, or I'll get referrals for you. But yeah, I'll pull data for you, sure. Absolutely. Oh yeah, you got to get that. If you pull this data for me, here's what I'm going to do for you, or you'll get this listing, or I mean, heck, at the very least, I should take you for lunch. If that realtor tells you it's illegal, then you should go find the next realtor. Right. That's <laughs> or at least put it this way, in the DMV, right? There may be potentially state law someplace where I'm not aware of. Gotcha. And DMV, for the, for the people not in, uh, in the Washington, D.C. area, it's, it's D.C., Virginia, Maryland. Or D.C., Maryland, Virginia, to keep the acronym right. Sorry about that. Yeah, you're right. Perfect. Good. Claude, anything else, um, anything else you'd like to say about this? All that's fantastic information. Anything else you want to say about uh, working uh, agents working with real estate investors? You know, I had written a couple of notes down as well, which I actually didn't look at until now. <laughs> Go for it. So I think we covered the things that I thought we would. But the one thing you asked, why would an investor work with an agent? And I had three points on that. And the first one that I think I gave you was you as the investor, you want the agent to confirm what you think. You also want the agent to challenge what you think. Because you're either right that you're not fully certain you're right. It's good to have somebody say, yeah, that's the right way to think. But you may also have missed something or be wrong. And you want someone to catch you up front with that, not when your home won't sell for what you want it to. Then the other thing is that you want your agent to give you things, information, you don't have and you may not know what that is but 
vendors, information about the community, information about particular properties. You know, when someone called, when I, when I get a property that isn't officially listed, who am I going to call? I'm going to call my clients, right? And if you as the investor don't have a relationship with me as the agent, then you're not going to get that call. That's why you want your realtor. Because we just, one more point in your sphere of influence. Fantastic, Claude. That is all extremely valuable information about the key player on, a, on an investor's team. You got to get that uh, agent relationship together. So what I expect people to do is take the information that they've learned here and go and use it to build your team and get the right agent on your team. Yeah, fantastic. So with that, <laughs> with that Claude, I'll, uh, thanks very much for everything. I appreciate you being, uh, being on the podcast and we will uh, talk to you next time. It's a pleasure, John. Thank you. Thanks, Claude. That's a wrap for the Get Traction Podcast. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit GetTractionPodcast.com. There you'll find all current episodes and a link to download a free copy of Tom's Deal Flow Cheat Sheet. Happy wholesaling. 